Section 7 of Whom We Shall Welcome. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Phyllis Vincelli. Whom We Shall Welcome. Report of the President's Commission on Immigration and Naturalization. Part 2. Chapter 3b. Discriminatory Immigration Laws. American immigration policies have frustrated and handicapped the aims and programs of American foreign policy throughout the period since 1924. The interference is acute today. The contradictions are sharper now, in part because the 1952 law is more restrictive than before. The major factor, however, is the new circumstance of American leadership in the world rivalry between democratic freedom and communist tyranny. The major disruptive influence in our immigration law is the racial and national discrimination caused by the national origins system. Reference has been made to Japan's reaction to the Exclusion Act of 1924 and the generally held view among informed people that our discriminatory immigration law was a contributory factor to Japan's attack upon the United States in World War II. However, even now, with the removal of all outright Oriental exclusions, the evil seeds of our former policy remain. It seems quite likely that current Chinese attitudes reflect to some extent the damage done earlier. Certainly, Japanese propaganda during the war, both in China and in the rest of Southeast Asia, was effective, particularly among intellectuals who were sensitive to the immigration law's implication of racial inferiority there is every reason to expect that the chinese communists will continue to exploit the anti-foreignism latent in most of southeastern asia for decades implanted there in some part by the oriental exclusion features of past american immigration law an example of communist efforts to use our immigration laws to encourage this anti-americanism is radio moscow programs beamed to south and east asia in which the communists have called attention to the color line drawn in united states immigration law such a program on july fifth nineteen fifty two in korean contained the following paragraphs, quote, The United States Congress on June 27th passed the McCarran-Walter Bill, which calls for drastic discrimination and restrictions against the nations of China, India, Southeast Asia, and other Asiatic countries who enter or reside in the United States. The nature of the new law was thoroughly unmasked by the congressmen in their debates on the bill. They stressed 
that the new immigration restriction bill is very similar to the Nazi theory of racial superiority. The McCarran-Walter law places those nationals of Asian countries who enter or immigrate into the United States in a far more inferior category. It is too well known how the American government authorities have treated Chinese, Korean, or Indian nations. The McCarran-Walter Law, which has been adopted by the United States Congress, provides further discrimination and restrictions on foreign nationals who enter the United States. However, the law is only one of many things which show the contempt of the american ruling circles and which spread racial prejudice among the people of the united states against the asian people a large number of witnesses in the commission's hearings stressed the continuing harm to our foreign relations caused by the discriminations of the national origins law against the non-white people of the world who constitute between two-thirds and three-fourths of the world's population. Asia. The Secretary of State advised the Commission that, quote, the lifting of the bar of exclusion caused deep gratification in Asia when the 1952 Act was passed, but the racial discrimination apparent in the triangle provision can be expected to keep alive some feelings of resentment the combination of very small quotas for asia and the asia pacific triangle provisions still furnish ground for asian suspicion of united states motives this testimony was corroborated by that of a recent eyewitness. Philip M. Hauser, professor of sociology at the University of Chicago and former acting director of the United States Bureau of the Census, made the following observations to the commission. Quote, the existence of such legislation as the present quota system in the statute books of the united states is to be particularly deplored in view of the position of world leadership which the united states has assumed in the almost three decades which have elapsed since the passing of the immigration act of nineteen twenty four it embodies a vicious and self-incriminating doctrine inconsistent with our position as a leader in the cause of world freedom and democracy it is among the greatest barriers to our gaining the confidence and trust of many of the peoples of the world i can document this assertion with what i have seen and heard in my own experience in many parts of the world Less than three weeks ago, I returned from my fourth trip abroad. It was an extended trip of over fourteen months, most of which I spent in the Orient, and during which I completely circumnavigated the globe. I can assure this commission that public law 414 is well known to the peoples of the world, and that it is not favorably known. It does untold damage to the United States in creating attitudes of distrust, 
and hostility. For example, I have on a number of occasions been embarrassed by Asiatic people who have questioned me about the quota system as one aspect of what they regard as our racial and ethnic prejudices. Few discussions of world or United States problems failed to elicit some question about United States racial prejudices in policy or deed, and some manifestation of puzzlement about or hostility to it. It is absurd to think that we can retain our position as the world leader in the fight for freedom and democracy with the peoples whom we explicitly and openly brand in our legislation as undesirable and inferior. Furthermore, in reenacting the quota system of 1924 into the Immigration and Nationality Act of 1952, we have unwittingly placed into the hands of the ruthless, adroit, and unscrupulous propagandists of the USSR a major weapon with which to attack us. As a resident of southeastern Asia for about a year, I had occasion to listen to Radio Moscow and to read the local news reports of the activities of Russian agents and propagandists. In this critical area, the fate of which may well determine the fate of the world, the USSR is skillfully and continuously making the most of our ethnic and racist doctrines as promulgated in Public Law 414. I have heard on numerous occasions the propaganda blasts of Radio Moscow. Much of its content was so distorted fabricated, and patently absurd that I am sure it fooled nobody, except possibly its perpetrators. Some of it, however, met high standards of effective propaganda technique, particularly that which, in even small part, could be documented as in the case of their on-the-whole wild and exaggerated depictions of our racial and ethnic prejudices and animosities. I am sure it was not the intention of the drafters of Public Law 414 or of the Congress to place a powerful weapon into the hands of the USSR in their propaganda war against the United States but I can assure the members of this commission that its enactment has had just such an effect. End quote. Caribbean Area As a result of the 1952 Act, we have suffered a serious deterioration of our foreign relations in the Caribbean, an area close to America, close to the Panama Canal, and the site of important wartime bases. The provision, which gives each colonial area of the West Indies a limited quota within the motherland's quota, a new device to limit such immigration to 100 a colony, has been keenly felt in those colonies as a racial discrimination, since the population of all of them is predominantly Negro. This situation is serious enough 
to have led the secretary of state to discuss it at some length in his statement to the commission quote, in the colonial and other dependent areas an even less satisfactory situation has come into being the new act provides that colonies shall have quotas of one hundred each instead of unlimited use of the quota of the governing country the difficulties are most clearly evident in the important strategic area of the caribbean the fact that this area has been the only part of the western hemisphere subject to quotas has always been an unpleasant irritant to these colonial peoples in the case of the british west indies the large and always undersubscribed british quota was open to them they have not therefore felt the practical effects of the discrimination implicit in their unique status in the hemisphere no more than two thousand five hundred immigrants have entered the united states from the british west indies in any one year henceforth however no more than eight hundred one hundred for each of the eight british territories may enter each year already months before the effective date of the act various british west indian legislatures have passed resolutions denouncing these provisions this is even less to be wondered at when it is remembered that cuba haiti and the dominican republic all near neighbors of the british territories and equally parts of the caribbean area have non-quota status like the rest of the western hemisphere Prominent West Indian leaders and newspapers have protested the obvious discrimination, and both West Indian and British government officials have informally brought the seriousness of the matter to the Department's attention. Further, the United States members of the Caribbean Commission, a body formed by executive agreement between the United States, the United Kingdom, france and the netherlands to plan for the economic and social development of the caribbean area have formally protested to the department against the colonial quota provisions as being a threat to the work of the commission itself as well as to the work of the department in its relations to the commission this view was substantiated by the testimony from another eyewitness walter white secretary of the national association for the advancement of colored people who declared quote, i encountered in the west indies this summer many examples of anger mixed with shock at both the sharp reduction of immigration from certain west indian islands and the racial implications of that action i submit that the mccarran walter act because of its racial implications against colored peoples from asia the caribbean and other areas may well prove equally harmful to the united states not only in asia but in latin america the secretary of state summed it up thus quote, in view of all this it is clear that united states immigration policy 
not only causes resentment weakening the friendship of some of our neighbors, but also causes or emphasizes economic dislocations that weaken those neighbors whom we need as strong partners and who can furnish us with sites for military bases and strategic raw materials. Africa. Another problem may be in Africa. The Secretary of State raised this issue in his statement, quote, Other colonial areas that will be of increasing importance to the West are those in Africa. Although there has as yet been no problem there, it should not be assumed that there never will be. Nationalism is growing rapidly in Africa, and Africans are, of course, extremely sensitive to racial discrimination. Again, one of the chief problems now facing the United States information offices in Africa is how to combat the anti-American racial propaganda published in local nationalist papers. While with one hand we spend time and money to fight that propaganda, with the other hand we feed the propaganda mill with our discriminatory policies. Quote. Europe The Secretary of State sees the same situation in Europe. Quote, in Europe, the difficulties facing us result in part from the national origins quota system, which is based squarely on the theory that the best Americans are those of particular national or racial origins. This theory, always derogatory to our friends, is increasingly at variance with our protestations of equality and with our efforts to work fruitfully with all peoples especially where it strikes countries like Italy and Greece, which are much concerned with emigration as a solution to their population problems, it has engendered soreness and doubt that inhibit progress toward mutual trust. Similar statements have been made to the Commission over and over again by informed and observant witnesses. The facts available to the Commission bear out the general conclusion that the United States incurs resentment abroad because of the nationality and race discriminations of our immigration law. The most obvious indications of this general resentment can be seen in the countries hit hardest, such as Italy and Greece. The national origins system has been a constant source of irritation in these and other countries, and a smoldering cause of official and unofficial disaffection toward the United States. Resentment has been growing more bitter in recent years. Although the United States talks much in Europe about unification and the lowering of barriers, about equality, and the mutual interest of the United States and Western Europe, at the same time it continues and further restricts its own immigration laws. The Commission does not wish to leave the impression that failure to remove discrimination from our immigration laws will necessarily hamper the conduct of affairs at the diplomatic level. There is no evidence that it has done so in the past. However, 
the weight of evidence is that fundamental relations between the United States and certain other countries are definitely impaired by our present immigration laws. National Origins Law Thwarts Refugee and Escapee Programs Among the great humanitarian problems facing the world today are the care and future of the refugees, expellees, escapees, and remaining displaced persons who constitute, quote, unfinished business, end quote, in the aftermath of World War II. Refugees, expellees, displaced persons. There are today some 10 million refugees and expellees of German ethnic origin in West Germany. Over 600,000 persons of Italian ethnic origin are in Italy and Trieste, refugees from Italy's former territories or other areas lost as a result of the war. Greece has some 40,000 to 45,000 refugees of Greek and foreign nationality from the countries of Southeast Europe. The number of refugees in West Germany is increasing by some 15,000 arrivals monthly from East Germany, exclusive of the escapees of other than German ethnic background. This situation is especially critical in West Berlin. The flow of refugees also still continues into Trieste, mostly from Yugoslavia. After the conclusion of operations under the Displaced Persons Act, some 7,500 displaced persons still remained as likely eligibles for a visa when all visas were exhausted on December 31, 1951. In the Far East, the situation of 15,000 Chinese intellectuals in Hong Kong and of 7,500 European refugees in communist China is particularly desperate. The refugee situation is potentially explosive. Western Germany is an example of this situation. The refugees constitute 20% of its population. One-third of the total unemployed in Germany in the spring of 1952 were refugees. Over 340,000 expellees still lived in mass camps. Only 30% of the expellees then had permanent employment. Over a year ago, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees stated, quote, The refugee population in Germany shows increasing inclination towards political adventure. The younger generation of the refugee populations faces the future with little confidence in the effectiveness of democracy and its capacity to solve their problems, end quote. Discussing the work of the International Refugee Organization, a subcommittee of the Senate Committee on Expenditures in 1949 reported, quote, Because of economic unrest and instability throughout Europe and Asia, the presence of refugees is generally a disturbing factor, both economically and politically. 
Accordingly, the problem is clearly one of international concern. A great deal of international effort has gone into various attempts to solve the refugee problem. The United States, as we have seen, has participated actively in most of them and has contributed a substantial part of the funds for all of them. With such conclusive evidence at hand, it seems superfluous here to labor the proposition that solution of the refugee question has been and continues to be of the greatest importance to this country. Attention can be more usefully directed to the question of whether the United States has done enough in accepting refugees as well as in planning, administering, and paying for the programs. The same Senate Committee report quoted above contains this significant conclusion, quote, The accomplishment of its, the International Refugee Organization's, mission has been substantially hampered by the failure of the nations of the world to assume their full responsibility for the solution of the displaced persons and refugee problems created by World War II. With respect to the United States, the problem is particularly acute. If our government is to maintain leadership in this vital matter, it must carry out its declared policy by effective measures aimed at liberalizing the admission of displaced persons. Until the nations of the world, including the United States, are ready and willing to meet these problems, in the only manner in which they can be met, by eliminating certain restrictions with respect to immigration, this problem will never be solved. End quote. This conclusion is as true today as when first announced by the Senate Committee in 1949. The basic need for the refugee, expellee, escapee, displaced person problem is opportunity to migrate to another country. This does not mean that all of the 10 million German refugees want or need to emigrate. Most of them are finding homes in Germany. However, the chance to emigrate is vitally necessary for some of these and other refugees, both as a real and as a psychological safety valve in a situation of tension and frustration. Needless to say, this is not a problem for the United States alone, but for all the nations of the free world together. The International Refugee Organization resettled 1,038,750 refugees in four and a half years in 48 countries and an equal number of other areas. Of this total number, the United States took less than one-third through the Displaced Persons Commission. The Displaced Persons Act, as amended, also brought to the United States some 55,000 German expellees and 2,000 Italian refugees. When the Displaced Persons Commission's work ended in the summer of 1952, all visas authorized under the Displaced Persons Act had been issued to displaced persons, German expellees, and Italian refugees, 
and some 400,000 people had entered the United States under the Act. Yet the Displaced Persons Commission reported that there were still under consideration, likely to receive visas if more were available, 32,000 German expellees, 1,500 Italian refugees, and 7,500 displaced persons. These are the so-called, quote, pipeline cases, end quote. This is clearly, quote, unfinished business, end quote. The refugee problem is much smaller now. It has bounds. It can be solved within a fairly short space of time. The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees and the Intergovernmental Committee for European Migration, formerly PICMME, are handling it as best they can. The Commission is convinced that these international agencies should be given the strongest support by the United States and the rest of the free world. But the obstacle that faces them is the closing of doors to immigrants in the United States, Canada, Australia, and elsewhere. The refugee problem cannot be solved by closed doors. And as long as the problem continues, the United States will have to continue helping, in one way or another, to support the refugees. The United States will continue to spend more money and effort to bolster the Western European economies, yet it will continue losing goodwill because of its restrictive immigration policy. And most important of all, the United States will continue to pay the much larger price that results from the progress that communism and neo-Nazism and neo-fascism make when frustration overtakes the people and countries whose refugee and expellee problems remain unsolved. Where the United States has taken the lead, as in the Displaced Persons Program, the other countries have followed our example. Escapees from Iron Curtain Countries the escapee situation is even more critical at the present time. There are 20,000 to 25,000 persons housed in camps in Germany, Austria, Italy, Trieste, Greece, and Turkey, who have escaped from behind the Iron Curtain since January 1, 1948. These escapees are non-Germans. They are, in general, the people from behind the Iron Curtain, who have most recently arrived, risking life and limb, leaving behind everything but the clothes on their backs, in order to live in freedom. Some of them have come because of the enticements held out to them by the voice of America, or by other Western propaganda for democracy. Now that the communists have tightened up the border watch, the flow has dropped to about 500 a month. How many try and fail? Paying for the attempt with their lives is anyone's guess. But at one point, the mortality rate was estimated to be over 80%. Unfortunately, 
escapees are not likely to find the welcome and freedom they thought would await them. They arrive in countries already surfeited with refugees. They cannot, for the most part, continue on to the United States because of restrictions in our immigration law. And so most of them are put in camps, without work, with none of the comforts and few of the privileges or rights of free men. The United States has a special responsibility toward these people and a special interest in them. At least some of them have come because our propaganda lured them. If sacrifice earns the right to liberty, they have earned it. We cannot turn them away and expect those still behind the Iron Curtain to believe us ever again. Furthermore, they are, generally speaking, convinced opponents of communist tyranny. They have experienced it, and they want no more of it. They can be helpful to us, and yet we have done very little for them and nothing to welcome them to our shores. Out of the current mutual security appropriation, a fund of $4,300,000 has been set aside to help the resettlement of escapees. The announcement caused hopes to rise among those escapees in camps in Europe. It brought a short-lived increase in the rate of escape through the Iron Curtain. Its results have been negligible because the fund is too small and because the United States and the other free nations have formulated no adequate programs for their care and resettlement. The Commission believes that effective measures should be taken and adequate appropriations made to provide reasonable reception, care, and migration opportunities for escapees from communism. The escapee problem is not a partisan political issue. It is generally agreed that something should be done immediately. President Truman said in his special message to the Congress on March 24, 1952, quote, Specific aid and assistance should be provided for the people who are fleeing at the risk of their lives from southern and eastern Europe. These peoples are Balts, Poles, Czechs, Slovaks, Hungarians, Bulgarians, Romanians, Albanians, Ukrainians, and Russians. These people face a desperate situation. Not only do they arrive destitute with only what they can carry on their backs, but they find themselves in totally strange lands among strange peoples speaking strange languages. The local authorities do not have adequate resources to care for them properly. These people need better care when they first arrive, and they need assistance if they are to move on and resettle elsewhere. The miserable conditions in which these fugitives from communism find themselves and their present inability to emigrate to new homes and start new lives lead inevitably to despair. Their disillusionment is being effectively exploited by communist propaganda. These men and women are friends of freedom. They include able and courageous fighters against communism. 
they ask only for an opportunity to play a useful role in the fight for freedom. It is the responsibility of the free world to afford them this opportunity. End quote. He recommended a program authorizing 21,000 escapees to migrate to the United States over a three-year period, plus supplemental reception, care, payment of cost of ocean transportation, and a program of education for leadership for those who choose to remain in Europe. President-elect Eisenhower said in a speech on October 17, 1952, Quote, a contest for world leadership, in fact, for survival, exists between the communist idea and the American ideal. That contest is being waged in the minds and hearts of human beings. We say, and we sincerely believe, that we are on the side of freedom, that we are on the side of humanity. We say, and we know, that the communists are on the side of slavery, the side of inhumanity. Yet to the Czech, the Pole, the Hungarian who takes his life in his hands and crosses the frontier tonight, or to the Italian who goes to some American consulate, this ideal that beckoned him can be a mirage because of the McCarran Act. End quote. Secretary of State Acheson said, in his statement to the commission, quote, Another special problem of equal importance is that of the escapees from communist countries. These people arrive in the border countries destitute. They have lost their homes, their property, and often their families. They have a deep hatred for communism. They know from experience what it means. They have a deep love of freedom, having been so long without it. If they are left to shift for themselves in lands already burdened with surplus population, they will not be able to find work and will be disillusioned about the meaning of Western democracy. As their disillusion grows and word of it spreads, it will be difficult for us to convince the captive populations behind the Iron Curtain that the free world is interested in their fate. With our aid, other countries are trying to make possible a new life for these escapees. But these efforts do not by themselves meet the need. To welcome escapees to the United States on a scale impossible under the present quota restrictions would be a vital step in making our policy toward the satellite peoples effective. Professor Philip E. Mosley, president of the East European Fund set up by the Ford Foundation and member of the Russian Institute of Columbia University, testified, quote, I feel that we will strengthen our own country and the free world if we will open a door, or rather, if we will reopen a door to the people who under intolerable pressure are escaping every day and every week from the Iron Curtain countries. American foreign policy toward the countries behind the Iron Curtain, particularly the satellites, is to emphasize that their people would be better off on our side. 
but in connection with escapees a most vital aspect of the quote, cold war end quote. american immigration law lies directly athwart our foreign policy end of section seven